0: Welcome back, everyone, thanks for joining. In today's episode, we have the stock market continuing to fall. In fact, if we look at the major indexes, the S&P 500's down, the Dow Jones is down, and the QQQ, those tech companies, are down a lot. It's down 2.39% today, and it continues to trend downward. I'm gonna be going over my thoughts on this, what to do in this type of situation, when we think the market might be heading into a downtrend. Now, we also have some news that M1 Finance, the brokerage I use, is launching a new credit card called the Owner's Rewards Card. And in this episode, I'll be giving you my initial impression of this card. But we also have the main subject I want to go over today, which is the stock market is totally rigged. That's the honest truth. There's no way to sugarcoat it. The stock market is unfair. And in this episode, I'm gonna be highlighting what I believe is the most egregious examples of the stock market being unfair and if there's anything we can do about it. So we have a lot to jump into. We're gonna be going over all of that in this episode. And as always, if you like this type of content, you can help me out for free by hitting the thumbs up button. Okay, now let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's first talk about the stock market trading down today. My portfolio as of right now is down one5 Four two percent, around four thousand three hundred dollars. Seems like a lot of money, but the portfolio can trade around this much from day to day. Some days it will be up two percent. Sometimes it will be down one point four percent. Over the past thirty days, we're in a bit of a downtrend. My portfolio is down five point five six percent, or seventeen thousand four hundred dollars. That's a lot of money, but keep in mind this can turn around very quickly. There's days where the portfolio can go up two percent, or weeks where it can go up six percent. That could happen very easily in the future. So I'm not all that concerned about my portfolio because I invest in companies that I believe have good valuations, strong fundamentals, and ample upside. So I don't have to worry about market sell-offs. If we look at the specific type of companies that are selling off, a lot of them are companies that have lofty valuations, companies trading at high multiples. For instance, Vici Properties is trading at a very low multiple. This company is down 0.89%. So it is in the red, it's not in the green, but right now this stock isn't falling nearly as much as companies that have higher multiples. Apple, for instance, is down 2.5% today. It's below 139 a share, so this company has came down quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. Microsoft is down 2.63%. This is another one that's been selling off over the past couple of days. Meanwhile, the oil companies like ExxonMobil are in the green today. While everything is selling off, the oil companies and commodity-driven businesses Are in the green. JP Morgan is also pretty flat right now. This has held up better during this sell off than other companies. And Facebook is selling off big today, down 5.17%. And just in the past 30 days, this company's down 15%. That's a huge sell off for Facebook. It's trading at a pretty reasonable valuation, in my opinion. It's trading at a 23 PE ratio. But Facebook is facing a few additional issues outside of the broader market sell-off. Of course, they're being sued by the FTC for being a monopoly, and their website right now is currently down. So overall, almost the entire stock market, aside from utilities and energy, is in the red today. So if you have a normal balanced portfolio, yours is likely in the red as well. And what do we do in situations like this? At least what am I doing? I'm... Not doing much. I'm investing in companies that I think offer good value and I'm holding on to my companies as they work for me and produce more and more dividends for me every single day that I can reinvest back into my portfolio. I had a record-breaking month in September on the amount of dividends that I was paid. I was paid $638 in dividends last month. That is way beyond what I've been paid in the past. So as these companies trade down, their fundamentals are fine. All of them are still generating dividends. They're paying out their shareholders. They're growing their business. And I'm not concerned if the prices come down. For me, that's a buying opportunity. Now moving on, I want to jump into some news. M1 Finance, the brokerage that I use, reached out to me and they wanted to sponsor an episode because they're releasing a new Visa signature credit card called the Owner's Rewards Card. So I'm gonna go over what makes this credit card somewhat unique and how I plan on personally using it. It seems that the entire premise of the owner's rewards card is to further incentivize us to be invested in companies that we're already spending money at. In fact, you only get the specific rewards for these companies If you currently own some stock in that company in an eligible M1 Invest account. So there's four tiers of cashback rewards. Now, this top tier is a 10% cashback tier. The list of companies in this tier is actually a lot more impressive than I thought it would be. I thought they would have just a few companies like Netflix, but they have 16 different companies, many of which I have monthly subscriptions to like Netflix, Spotify, and Adobe. For Adobe alone, I pay $50 a month. For my adobe suite to do all the editing and photoshop for my videos if i own adobe stock which i do in my growth portfolio and i use this credit card i will get 10 percent back on what i spend on that subscription so that's pretty good far better than what i'm getting from my current card now the next tier is the five percent cashback tier this tier has a lot of major airlines popular food places like chipotle domino's starbucks now i can already tell i'm going to want to buy a little bit of these companies to get the rewards. They also have some other huge brands like Nike, Etsy, TJ Maxx. I think that it's pretty crazy that you can get 5% back on Nike with the card. Now, the 2.5% category is actually the one that I'm the most impressed with. They're giving back 2.5% on Apple, Audible, Twitch, and Costco. Just Costco alone will make it worth it for me to use this card. Even the Costco card only gives back 2%. So this one is a better rewards card for costco than the costco card they also include in this tier home depot lowe's target doordash and a bunch more food joints more streaming services like hbo and so on and i actually like the concept of the card in order to get these rewards you have to own a little stock in these companies they made the minimum just having ownership so even ten dollars will count but the concept is what is important if you're spending money at these companies It's probably good to be an owner of them and that's what they're trying to incentivize. And then outside of the specific tiers, the baseline reward for everything else is 1.5%, which I think is pretty competitive. So I have to be honest, when I first heard about the M1 credit card, I was a bit skeptical of how competitive it would be. There are so many cards to choose from, but this one is actually far better than I anticipated. It seems to be highly competitive. Now you're eligible to apply for the card if you're already an M1 Plus member and the annual fee is waived as long as you are an M1 Plus member. You have to be an M1 Plus member to apply for this card. If you become an M1 Plus member, then you get the card, then you cancel your M1 Plus membership, you'll have to pay a yearly fee of $95 to keep using the card. So in my opinion, it's really only worth it to have if you're actively using M1 Finance and already in their ecosystem. So that's my initial impressions on the card. I plan on getting it and using it, and I'll give you more thorough review down the road in a couple months when I've had the chance to really use it. But so far, I'm very intrigued. Now moving on, let's go ahead and jump into the main story here, which is the stock market, in many cases, is unfair. We've seen little examples here and there of the stock market being rigged. For instance, in March of 2020, four U.S. senators went into a private briefing about the coronavirus, and they were briefed with a lot of confidential information that the general public was unaware of. Well, after that briefing, these four senators went quickly to their brokerages and sold out of a lot of stock right before the huge downturn in the US. The actions of these senators was met with public outrage and disgust, but outside of that public backlash, not much has happened. There's an ethics probe going on where they're looking at it, but the senators haven't been met with any real consequences. So far, they just got away with selling off of information that was private. So we've all seen examples of this time and time again, of some people operating off of information that other people don't have. And in most cases, in very unfair ways. This is a challenge to the market efficiency theory, which states that we all should be operating off of the same information and the same data when making investment decisions. But like these four senators, there's many people that are operating off of private information. Now, not only are there examples of people operating off of private information and making stock sales or stock buys based off of information that you and I don't have, but there's also people that are in positions of power where they can literally influence the economy and the market making individual stock trades. Kaplan steps down as the Dallas Fed chief hours after Rosengren. Two Federal Reserve presidents are retiring following embarrassing revelations of stock trading last year. That is the big consequence that these guys face. They are presidents in the Federal Reserve knowing and controlling Fed policy and their big punishment when this gets revealed to the public is I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm going to retire now. That's their big punishment. Now, the two Fed presidents are not the only examples of people in positions of power that are controlling economic levers that are also trading stocks. We have 131 federal judges that broke the law by hearing cases where they had a financial interest. A Wall Street Journal investigation found that the judges have improperly failed to disqualify themselves from 685 cases around the nation since 2010. The jurists were appointed by nearly every president from Lyndon Johnson to Donald Trump. So I'm glad the one thing that we have bipartisanship on is crony capitalism and judges that are willing to rule on any case despite having huge conflicts of interest. Owning equity in these companies that you're making judgments on, I think is about as big of a conflict of interest as you can possibly get. Judge Rodney Gilstrap sets an unwanted record, the most cases with financial conflicts. The patent law expert took 138 cases involving companies in which he or his spouse had financial interests. Now, I'm no judge, but to me, just as an average person, 138 cases where you have financial conflicts seems like a lot of cases. Judges are supposed to be impartial. They're supposed to not let family, social, political, or financial conflicts impact their judgment. How can this judge instill any confidence to the public that his judgments are without bias when he has financial conflicts. It's impossible to. Now, is there anything likely to happen to that judge? Maybe. He might step down. He might face an ethics probe. But probably nothing substantial in the end. It usually doesn't work that way. We also have other examples in Congress that seem to be just well accepted at this point. Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, has a net worth of $115 million and a salary of $220,000. Now, you might be asking... How do you have a salary of $220,000 and a net worth of $115 million? Well, you do it through stocks. That's how you do it. You do it through stocks. And Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi, are big time stock traders. Many of the stocks that she trades on a daily basis are of companies that she has direct influence over she's the speaker of the house buying and selling and doing options on individual companies this has become so commonplace that there's now a following of people that track nancy pelosi's trades knowing that she'll often buy into companies right before good government-related news is released. TikTokers are trading stocks by copying what members of Congress do. Here's one of these TikTokers going over the amazing timing of Nancy Pelosi.
1: And would you look at that, literally clockwork. The US government has an agreement to purchase a supercomputer from who else? Nvidia, yup, Nvidia, the one, yup. The one that Nancy bought back
0: on 72321 in that tweet, the news comes out literally yesterday, like 82421. She knew. And you would have known if you followed her portfolio. You gotta follow Nancy Pelosi's trades in order to get the inside scoop of where to put your money. There's a Twitter account called Nancy Pelosi Portfolio Tracker that has 85,000 followers on Twitter. A lot of people are obviously paying close attention to her trades. Now, you might think that this is just funny business and people doing this to make fun of Nancy Pelosi. But the truth is, is that members of Congress have this amazing ability that not only are they good politicians and they can focus their time and effort on politics, but they also happen to be incredibly good stock traders, far above average. They're the exception to the rule. This post from Reddit says, I analyzed 9,000 trades made by members of U.S. Congress in the last two years and benchmarked it against the S&P 500. But the results of this study are not surprising. On average, members of Congress outperform the S&P 500, and they do it in all different time periods. One month after purchase, they outperform. One quarter after purchase, they outperform. And till date, they've outperformed. On all different time periods, members of Congress not only are good politicians and they're making good wages and they're deciding which laws get implemented and how companies are regulated, but they also happen to be incredibly skilled investors that can do something that many investors can't they're outperforming the S&P 500. So we have many examples all across the board of people in positions of power, regulating companies, regulating the economy, members of the Fed, judges, members of Congress, all trading individual stocks and becoming unbelievably wealthy and doing so with a clear advantage over the common person. But we also have examples of just popular people doing the same thing. Personalities like Chamath Palihapitiya pumping stocks at the very time that they're selling them. This clip is from January 7th, 2021. This is what Chamath Palihapitiya
1: was saying early this year. And I'm telling you right now, Scott, the big disruption that's coming is to power utilities. There are trillions of dollars, of bonds, of capex, of value, sitting inside the energy generation infrastructure of the world that is gonna go upside down. And when that goes pear-shaped, Tesla will double and triple again.
0: Right there, he's saying that Tesla will double and triple again. And keep in mind that right there on the chart, on the top right, Tesla's sitting at 7.99 dollars a share. So it's doing good right now. People are bullish. Tesla's at a very high price point at $800 a share. And Chamath is on CNBC waxing poetic about how great this stock is. And at the time, Most people are under the impression that he's a shareholder, that he's heavily bought into this company. And he continues to go on in great detail, explaining all the virtues of Tesla.
1: And I think, you know, I tweeted this a while ago that I thought the world's first trillionaire would be a person fighting climate change. It very well could be Elon, but if it's not him, it'll be somebody like him. But it'll be because of this delivering clean energy, allowing the world to be sustainable, is an incredibly um, important thing that will be rewarded by markets and individuals.
0: And you're, you're just going to ride, I mean, you said two or three times higher than where it is
1: now. You're just going to ride yeah, I that, mean, listen, that like, wave?
0: He's asked, are you going to ride that wave? Meaning, what's your thoughts on this? Are you going to stay invested? Are you going to keep riding the wave of Tesla? And listen to how Chamath responds.
1: Scott, I don't understand why people are so focused on selling things that work. Let's just, you know, uh, I'll make up a number. Let's just say I owned a billion dollars of Tesla stock. If I sold it, now I have a billion dollar problem. What do I do with that money? What about if it was 100 million? What about if it was just 10,000? 10 billion, it doesn't matter what the number is. The point is that when things are working, you're paid to stay with people that know what they're doing. And this is a guy who has consistently been one of the most important entrepreneurs in the world. And so why bet against him it's the same thing with bezos why bet against him and there are a handful of other people anthony noto who we just talked to today isn't yet another person you get behind these people who have incredibly strong character who know what they're doing who aren't going to bend to short-term profits and who are just going to drive the train for 10 or 20 years and make the world a better place get behind them now so far what impression do you think he's leaving to the viewers does
0: it sound like he's bearish on tesla that he's selling out of his shares He's literally instructing people, telling them openly that they're basically stupid if they sell out of Tesla. Who would ever bet against Elon Musk? And he doesn't stop there. He continues to go on re emphasizing this point.
1: You know, the best way to summarize this, by the way, is a, a friend of ours who, you, who we mentioned earlier, Bill Gurley, has this great phrase when the music's on, you got to dance. And so these guys are dancing. They are in rhythm, they're in flow. Let them do their thing, get behind them, don't sell a share, just let them create value
0: tesla's gonna go up two or three times from here get behind elon musk they're dancing right now they're in motion don't sell a single share just let them do their thing now here's an interview with chamath the very same person just one week ago you still have a sizable stock position in tesla no you sold it yeah when now chamath says that he sold out of all of his tesla And in and of itself, that would be fine. You can own companies and be bullish on them and then later down the road, change your mind. In fact, most good investors do that from time to time. You buy into companies, you're excited about them, you're excited about all the possibilities, but then you end up changing your mind as new information comes to light and your thesis down the road starts to change. But the big issue I want to highlight with what Chamas says is the timeline of when he was selling his Tesla shares.
1: Uh, Over the last few years, we've sort of, You know not last years like really in the last year or so particularly you know the prices allowed me to again
0: surprised to hear you say he says he sold over the last year or so or right when he was making that interview instructing other people to do the precise opposite of what he himself was doing tesla's going to go up three times why would you ever sell Tesla? Why would you ever bet against Elon Musk? Never sell a share. These people are dancing and they're in motion. Why would you ever want to sell your stock right now? That's what he was saying to the public at the beginning of this year while he was exiting his position in Tesla. Now is Chamath going to face any type of real consequences for pumping a stock at the same time that he was exiting the position? Probably not. Few people do. The most that he's probably going to face is a little bit of criticism and a little backlash from the public. But other than that, he's free to go back on CNBC and boost the next big stock that's going to go up 3 times in price while he's secretly selling all of his shares in. Now the unfortunate truth is there's many more examples of how unfair the stock market is. We're not on level ground here. We're not on a level playing field. There's many people that have unfair advantages in the stock market and in many cases they use those advantages no matter how unethical or even in some cases illegal it is. And for the most part from what I see Very few of them ever face any real consequences. And so this is likely to continue on until they do. From Bloomberg, they say new research shows that insider trading is everywhere. And so far, no one seems to care. That is the situation right now. Now, having said all of that, even after highlighting the many flaws and the different ways that the stock market is rigged, I'm still investing in it. I still believe that after all of that, it's still the best way to grow long-term wealth. So I'm not suggesting to avoid the stock market, I'm not avoiding it. I continue to invest and I'll be showing my performance every single week, but I'd leave you with some form of a warning to be careful who you listen to. There's frankly a lot of BS online. There's a lot of people that come on CNBC and they say that the world's going to hell why they have puts on the stock market. There's people that say that Tesla's going to triple while they're selling their shares. There's a lot of people that don't have your best interests at heart. They do the opposite of what they say. So keep that in mind when you're listening to people talk about investments. Not all of them share their portfolios. In fact, in my experience, very few do. That's all for this episode. I'll see you all next time.